25 million children wasted, 7.7 million children severely wasted. Numbers of waste in South Asia are huge. They should create outrage, and they are not yet. This is an ENN podcast for the Field Exchange 63 Child Wasting in South Asia Special Edition. My name is Marie McGrath. I'm one of the technical directors at the Emergency Nutrition Network and editor of our established publication, Field Exchange. I'd like to introduce Dr. Victor Awayo. He was UNICEF Chief of Nutrition based in New York. He's over 25 years of research, policy program and management experience in maternal and child nutrition in Latin America, Africa, Asia and globally. Why we're chatting with Victor today is that ENN is about to release a special edition of Field Exchange on Wasting in South Asia, which was developed in collaboration with the UNICEF Regional South Asia Office. Given UNICEF's recently clarified leadership on oversight of wasting management amongst the UN agencies, as reflected in the UN Global Action Plan on Child Wasting Framework recently released, we are keen to have a conversation with Victor and hear his reflections on the rich experiences we've gathered in this special edition. Welcome, Victor. Thank you, Marie. I'm very happy to be with all of you today. So I'll kick off with an opening question. This special edition of Field Exchange and Wasting in South Asia was developed, as I say, in close partnership with the team at the UNICEF Regional South Asia office. And really it was born out of frustration at the regional level that wasting management, particularly treatment in South Asia, received disproportionately low attention compared to other regions where indeed the prevalence and burden may be lower. You yourself have worked in the region. So from where you've sat and where you currently sit, why do you think wasting in South Asia has not received the attention it needs? Well, first of all, Maria, I would like to say that the fact that you and I are discussing today wasting in South Asia is a major milestone. And I'm extremely happy to see that this special edition of uh, your publication focuses precisely on this issue. Ten years ago, this would have been inconceivable. So it is a very welcome development that we have agreed to open up a global discussion around child waste in, in South Asia. So congratulations for that to you. And also congratulations to our regional office in South Asia and the many people who with them have worked in producing uh, this issue. The question is, why do I believe that child wasting has not received the attention that it deserves in South Asia? And I think uh, the question is easier than the answer, but there is an answer to that. I think there are different reasons for it. The first one is that for far too long, wasting has been seen, in my opinion, as that form of child malnutrition that needs to be treated, whereas stunting is that form of malnutrition that needs to be prevented. So we have created, on the one hand, an artificial divide between stunting and wasting, prevention and treatment, one. And two, for too long a time, wasting has been presented or perceived as that form of malnutrition that is specifically associated with Africa, whereas stunting was the form of malnutrition that was specifically associated with Asia and South Asia. None of the above is true, but some of it explains why for decades wasting has been overlooked in South Asia, despite the fact that both prevalence and absolute numbers are telling us we have a major wasting issue in South Asia. So I celebrate that we're opening up this discussion and that we can clarify how we should be moving forward. That's very clear. Thank you, Victor. And what for you, what stand out as key opportunities, challenges and learning from the region 
regarding wasting and what do you think are the implications for policymakers, for programmers and for researchers? Well, first, I think we need to acknowledge that we have a huge challenge with child wasting in South Asia. And this might be easy to say, it is more difficult to accomplish. It is not everyone in South Asia who has come to terms with the fact that both the prevalence and the absolute numbers of wasted children in South Asia do indicate very clearly that we have a major child wasting crisis that requires a timely and good quality response. Numbers of wasting in South Asia, 25 million children wasted, 7.7 million children severely wasted, are huge. They should create outrage, and they are not yet. And this is not just a result of very significant populations in this part of the globe. It also is a combination of, yes, population size, but very high prevalence. The prevalence of child wasting in South Asia is double than the prevalence of child wasting in many countries in Sub-Saharan Africa. Yet we still think of wasting and severe wasting as forms of malnutrition that are very specific to South Asia. I still remember in a country in South Asia, I was told by a very uh, senior government official, Victor, this is not Ethiopia. And actually, when looking at the data of child wasting in Ethiopia and in that country in South Asia, levels of child wasting in Ethiopia were lower than levels of child wasting in that country. So first, acknowledge that we do have a problem. Second, we then need to understand what is driving these high prevalence and high numbers of wasted children in South Asia. Are the drivers the same as we find in Sub-Saharan Africa, or is there a difference? And three, if there are drivers, how do we go about making sure that they stop driving the pandemic of child wasting in, in South Asia? So I think acknowledgement first, understanding second, and three, action. And we can discuss those now, Marie, if you want, one by one. That would be fantastic, Victor. So when we think of the drivers uh, that you have in mind, what do you think these people should be doing to sit up and take action? First, they need to understand that wasting has severe implications for children and for their lives. A, it drives mortality, and many children in South Asia are dying as a result of wasting and the more severe forms of wasting. For children who manage to survive, it means poor growth, a huge risk of stunted growth, poor brain development, poor learning opportunities, and poor achievement in life. So major consequences for children's lives and as a result for the lives of their communities, their societies, and the economy of the nation. So political leaders and policymakers need to understand what's at stake here. It is not a number, it is not a mere tape, it is not the obsession of a few well-intentioned public health nutritionists. It is the human capital of the nation that is at stake, number one. Number two, they need to understand, we need to understand why are levels of child wasting so high in South Asia? And the answer to that question can be as complex as we want, but could be as simple as follows. First, the poor nutrition of women pre-pregnancy and during pregnancy. Some of the highest prevalence of maternal malnutrition in the world are recorded in South Asia. Far too many women are too thin when they enter pregnancy. Many of them have not completed their own physical growth because there are still children giving birth to children and they do not manage to gain the weight and the nutrition they need during pregnancy to deliver a healthy child. 
levels of low birth weight in South Asia are outrageous, double than the levels that we find in many other countries in Sub-Saharan Africa. So the first thing that we need to fix if we are serious about reducing child waste in, in South Asia is the nutrition situation of women in these countries, which is part and parcel of the situation of women by and large. The second thing is that once children are born, feeding practices in South Asia are among the poorest in the globe. So you see, there is a perfect storm happening here. We have children being born with very poor birth weights, then very poorly fed. Some of the worst diet diversity scores in children and diet adequacy scores in children are recorded in South Asian countries. So children who are born with a low birth weight, children who are already born with a disadvantage, do not get to catch up in their nutrition in the first years of life because simply their diets are far too poor. So the poor nutrition of women, the poor feeding practice in the first two years of life. And third, and not to be forgotten, is the very unhygienic conditions that are very prone to infection and disease that millions of children are thriving in, in South Asia. So these three major drivers, poor maternal nutrition, poor financial feeding practices, and the poor quality and hygiene of the environments that children grow in are the three most important drivers of child wasting. I also want to reiterate that what drives wasting is also driving to some extent uh, stunting, child stunting in the region. In the past, as I mentioned, I think we have created an artificial divide between wasting and stunting, as if these were two completely different forms of malnutrition that are happening in two completely different sets of children. Nothing could be further from reality. What we see in South Asia is that far too many children are wasted too early in life, sometimes at birth. These children, for the most part, manage to survive, but many of them will transition into poor growth and stunted growth as the only way out of these uh, situations. So potentially some of the highest levels of child wasting in South Asia are also due to the fact that we are seeing the highest levels of child wasting in very early life. So prevention needs to come first. And I think I've been quite explicit about that. Preventing that women are undernourished, preventing that children are underfed, and preventing that children live in very unhygienic and infection-prone environments. But when prevention fails, treatment is a must. For us in UNICEF, there is no dilemma between prevention or treatment. Prevention and treatment need to go hand in hand. Prevention needs to come first everywhere, including in humanitarian situations. But when prevention fails, treatment is a must everywhere, including in development situations. So we can talk about treatment because I know that this is a significant component of the special issue that we are presenting today. Victor, thank you. That's a really comprehensive but to the point identification of these main drivers and indeed resonate very much with the content, the experience, the research that we've captured in the special edition of Field Exchange, which really found us homing in on the maternal nutrition and health and those early life experiences. And I think in terms of action, indeed, the Global Action Plan on Child Wasting Framework for Action that was released um, in March 2020 provides a very comprehensive set of priorities to reduce low birth weight, improve child health, improve infant and young child feeding and improve the treatment of wasted children. And 
reflecting on what you've spoken about now, how will the priorities identified by the region um, and these drivers be reflected in the development of the, the roadmap for action that UNICEF is leading on? For example, maternal nutrition and health, low birth weight infants, early life growth failure, repeatedly feature as critical periods to intervene and act in, in our edition and in what you say. How will you, as UNICEF, make sure that these aren't lost or diluted in amongst the many other preventive and curative actions identified in the gap? We often have a long list as, as nutritionists. How do we home in on the priorities? Yeah, well, thank you for saying that, Mary. I, I do share your concern. Long lists are never helpful because they become wish lists or Christmas letters. So I think we need to be very focused. Our challenge in the next 10 years, if I were to simplify, is not to eliminate child waste in South Asia. I wish we could. But our challenge in the next 10 years is to demonstrate that we can reduce at least by 50% the prevalence and the number of wasted children. We need to be able to collectively create a situation that demonstrates that change at scale is possible. All figures on child wasting in South Asia over the last one decade indicate that there is little progress at best, no progress in most cases, worsening scenarios in some cases. So we need to be able to break this vicious cycle vicious cycle of malnourished women giving birth to children who are low birth weight, wasted from birth, survive in many cases, but then move into very poor growth, poor development, stunted growth, stunting, and what it means for children. So prevention needs to be at the core of the global action plan on child wasting, including in South Asia. But that prevention needs to be very focused on those three key drivers, at least to be able to get to that first 50% reduction. Let's improve women's weight gain during pregnancy. Let's improve diet diversity in the first few years of life. And let's reduce the risk of infection and disease by improving hygiene and sanitation. To me, that would be the key focus in the South Asia context. Would that take care of 100% of the problem? I don't think so. But I think that could take care of 50% of the problem. And that is what we need to see, that in the next 10 years, we're able to reduce by half, at least, the number of wasted children in South Asia. And for those who become wasted, what we need to see is that we'll be able to identify them as soon as possible. Early detection, to me, is the missing link. Sometimes we talk about prevention and treatment, and we see them as two separate interventions and two separate programs. That is wrong. That is not what children need. In between prevention and treatment, there is a missing link, which is the early detection. That is, early detection needs to become part and parcel of routine services for children, where children are provided an essential package of interventions. And part of that package is to monitor how they are growing and whether they are or not becoming at risk of wasting. And once they cross that line as soon as possible, early detection, then provide them with that boost that they need for three weeks, four weeks, six weeks, seven weeks, 10 weeks, to bring them back to healthy growth. Early detection is extremely important. And in South Asia, we do not have enough community-based programs, that is programs that are as close as possible to the child to monitor children's growth and identify when they need treatment. Thank you, Victor. And we're just reflecting just on what you're saying there. 
when you think about this sort of silo when we have between prevention and treatment, I think much treatment could really be viewed through a preventive lens because if you looked at it as a public health approach, your primary prevention is preventing something happening and secondary is where you're you're intervening when there's an increased risk and you're preventing, a, say, a further deterioration and, and then tertiary is when you're, you're trying to prevent a very serious outcome like death or serious morbidity. In a sense, that's what treatment does. It's just a phased level of, of prevention. Beautifully said. I, I couldn't say it better precisely. And perhaps, perhaps the term treatment is one that is not helping us. And perhaps we need to start thinking of early detection and treatment as that phase of heightened prevention, precisely to avoid the kind of outcomes that you are describing. In any case, the more important thing is first acknowledge that in South Asia, we do have a problem with child wasting. This is not something that is happening in other continents, in other countries. It is happening to us in our countries. One, two, that there is a huge overlap between stunting and wasting and that we need to bring this programming together. Three, that we need to heighten our focus on preventing that children become wasted early in infancy, sometimes at birth and early in life. And four, if they do become wasted as soon as possible, bring what I sometimes call that boost that will bring them back to healthy growth. So that boost is what we are calling treatment. But perhaps we need to start thinking of treatment as precisely that heightened phase of prevention that brings children back to better growth and, if possible, to healthy growth. Absolutely. And it would be interesting to do the modelling and the dynamics of if you do that early in, you know, intervention and preventive heightened action with your mothers, with your newborns, with those first critical months of life, what might be the implications be for caseloads that currently present to programs or indeed aren't accessing treatment when they're six months old and then nine months old and 12 months of age. And also, I think we often see these children as all the same and we treat them all the same. Very true, very true. So understanding what is driving wasting and who are the children at the highest risk, but also with the highest potential to respond, I think that is key. And that is the kind of innovation that we need to bring. And that is where the energy of I would say the research community should be used. I'm sometimes worried that significant amounts of energy of the research, academia, intellectual community in South Asia is wasted. And that might be a relevant way to refer to that. In picking the wrong fights, we need to be able to pick the right fights. And the right fights is who are the children who need us most? And how do we intervene to bring to those children born to very young women, born with a very low birth weight, at risk of very poor feeding practice in the first one year of life? That first one year of life is crucial. How do we reach those children with timely intervention so that we reduce the risk of a negative outcome, including wasting or severe wasting, by 80%, 90%, and if possible, we eliminate it. That is where the creative energy of the academic community, intellectual community, all the concerned community needs to be put in and not waste energies or dissipate energies with uh, fights that actually benefit no one. Mm. Very, very true. And I think 
Over the years at Field Exchange and what I think has stood out for us in this latest edition is the richness of innovation and we need to do something from the the programmers, from the the national staff, from the agencies that have written for the Field Exchange edition about what they're doing, the challenges they're facing and so much of the innovation um, that's happened. And I think there's so much I, I felt as I was pulling together Field Exchange that we can learn from this region more globally and I know we we have a global field exchange readership and many are sitting in different regions and continents and this field exchange will land on their doorstep or they'll read it online and they may consider this learning is not relevant to their context what would you say to them well I think it is I think it is first because any practitioner anywhere is potentially a global practitioner. So do not underestimate that you need to know what's happening in South Asia. I used to say that most wasted children, A, do not live in Sub-Saharan Africa, two, do not live in an emergency situation, and three, are not getting any treatment. So anyone who is interested in child wasting, the early detection of child wasting, the early treatment of child wasting, needs to know what is happening in South Asia, what is preventing that so many children do not get timely treatment? And for those who are getting timely treatment, what are the innovative ideas that are being introduced? Some of them can be extremely relevant in Sub-Saharan Africa or in other uh, continents. It is not like in Sub-Saharan Africa, we can report a major success in preventing child wasting or a major success in providing services to all wasted children. We still have a long way to go. And we can learn from what South Asia is doing and some of the innovations that are being introduced in some countries. The same way that practitioners in South Asia need to be listening very carefully to what practitioners in Sub-Saharan Africa are doing because there is a significant overlap between the programming environments in many of those uh, countries. So I think there is a lot to be learned, a lot to be learned about how to improve women's nutrition pre-pregnancy and during pregnancy, how to improve infant and child feeding practices, especially in the first one year of life, when, and especially in those six months after the exclusive breastfeeding period when breast milk is no longer enough to provide all the nutrients that children need and how to go about improving the environments that children are growing in, the hygiene and sanitation environment. So lots to learn, both for practitioners, but also for researchers and those who are asking themselves the right questions and trying to find the right answers. Brilliant. Thank you. I think you've convinced me and I'm sure you've convinced many of our readers of the reasons to start picking up and leafing through this, this special edition of Field Exchange. You've given us a lot of time, Victor, and a lot of rich thought in there. Do you have any final reflections or words yeah. of insight or wisdom? Yes, I do have a final reflection for those who might be reading this issue and might be frequent readers. There is a significant community of people, men and women, practitioners and researchers, advocates around child wasting. And whether it is in Sub-Saharan Africa, in South Asia, in Asia or globally, this community sometimes has chosen to self-isolate. And that is something that concerns me. It concerns me that sometimes we are so devoted to our own wasting agenda that we do not want to look beyond it. 
At the same time, I also hear members of this committee complain, why not more attention on child waste? So we need to do a little bit of introspection. This is a new time. This is a great time. I think we collectively have managed to put waste in, in the global agenda, and that is something that we need to celebrate. That is something that we would have not achieved without the devotion, the commitment, the research, the evidence, the work, and the success of many of the readers of Field Exchange. This is a time to make of child waste in part of a global agenda to improve survival, growth, and development for children. So we need to think big. We need to be part of global conversations around nutrition, food systems, climate change, and human capital, and not reduce child waste into a condition that is the focus of a small community of highly dedicated people. That community has been able to brought it to the table. Let's not think bigger because what's at stake is extremely important. And I have confidence that this community can step up the game and I'll be part of that and I'll make sure that UNICEF is also supportive of that. Thank you so much, Victor. A good, gentle but firm call to action to finish this interview on. I'd just like to thank you again so much for your time and reflections and indeed the support from UNICEF and the regional South Asia team in making this edition a reality. And we really look forward to hearing feedback from our readers around the world on this edition. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Marie, and thank you to the Emergency Nutrition Network, Field Exchange, our collaboration, past, present and future. Read the Child Wasting in South Asia Special Edition Field Exchange to find out more. Visit ennonline.net forward slash fex.